Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. How many of you are ready for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Like I said, we are kicking off the final message of a series that we're calling Advancing Hope. We're segueing our word of 2020, which was the word hope. And how many of you agree, 2020, we needed hope? So God prepped us for that. God brought us to that place even before we knew we needed hope. Even when we thought hope wasn't the right word, we were trusting God and God was faithful through 2020. And here we are in 2021 and we believe that the word for the year is advance. We are called to advance the kingdom of God. We are called to advance into our communities. We are called to advance in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're combining the two of these and we're looking at a series through the book of Nehemiah, where a man by Nehemiah goes back to his home city, to Jerusalem, and he begins to rebuild the walls. It's funny that we're concluding a series on rebuilding walls, and then this week we're going to tear down walls, but it's all in God's timing, right? So here we are. We're, we're looking at Nehemiah's experience of what's going on. But before I jump into the message too much, I want to encourage you to join us, be with us the next two Sundays. The next two weeks are probably two of the most important weeks of our entire year. Why is that? Because we're entering into our annual missions emphasis. We believe in missions. Why do we believe in missions? Because God believes in missions. We believe that God has called us to reach beyond our walls. I believe that the moment that the church becomes consumed with our four and no more, the moment that the church becomes consumed with just what's happening inside of these walls is the moment the church begins to die. Hmm, that should have gotten a little bit more response. I believe that the moment we are self-absorbed we will find ourselves at the brink of implosion. Why? Because we're no longer fulfilling the calling and the purpose of God. The next two Sundays, I want to challenge you, be here at any cost, no matter what it takes for you to be here. If you need to change your work schedule, you need to change your work schedule. If you need to change your sleep schedule, whatever you need to do, you need to be here the next two Sundays because we're going to hear from God. We're going to grab a hold of what missions means to encounter church. I can't wait for the next two Sundays, so be with us. Now back to our series. At this moment in time, the wall has been rebuilt. Let me remind you of where we've been. Nehemiah had a, a get-together with his brother and some of his friends. His friends came in and said, hey, things are awful back home, back where the family is. They're living in shambles. They're living in ruins. The walls around the city are torn down. Everybody's discouraged. The walls can't be rebuilt. We've tried it twice. Twice we failed. No one wants to even try it. No one wants to attempt it. Suddenly, Nehemiah is moved. He is stirred. How many of you know we need to be stirred in the things of God? Sometimes we get too comfortable just going through life. 
We get too comfortable with the mundane. We get too comfortable with the routine of life. We need to allow the things of God to begin to stir us. And that's where Nehemiah found himself. He called out to God. The Bible says that he, he prayed, he mourned, he fasted. He called God, what would you have me to do? He left the comforts, the second greatest position in, this, in the country. He left that great position to go back to face opposition after opposition after opposition. But 52 days, less than two months into this project, the walls have been rebuilt. So at this point in time, the walls are completed and the focus has shifted from manual labor to now a spiritual labor, from rebuilding what was physically destroyed to strengthening the spiritual relationship. Let me just tell you, both are vitally important. We've got to do the hard work. Reaching the lost is hard work. Being an avenue, a funnel which God flows through is not always easy. It's going to place you in some uncomfortable situations. I tell you today, I, I share this with you today. The moment you say, God, use me, get ready. Because he's going to use you. You're going to be driving down the highway and God's going to say, Pull off over here. That person sitting on the park bench needs you to pray with them. You're going to be standing in line at Walmart, and God's going to say, that person in front of you is dealing with this issue. You need to pray for them. And this isn't just a, a silent prayer. This is, hey, man, God has shared with me that you're going through some problems. Can I pray with you right now? Yeah. Did you know it's okay to pray in the middle of Walmart? In fact, it'll probably make your trip to Walmart a little better. The walls have been built. They're digging into the spiritual relationship. And the people of Israel now make a pledge or a promise to God. Have you ever made a promise to God? Oh, I know some of your promises. God, if you'll just get me through this, then I promise I will never miss church again. Right? God, if you'll just get me past this, then I'll read my Bible every single day. Oh, we make all sorts of promises. That's what I want to look at today. This is, what do we do after the amen? In other words, what do we do after we cry out to God, we, we make our petition to him, we lay out our promise to him, and we say amen. And by the way, we're going to talk about what that word means in just a moment. What do we do after that? Because up to that, it's just talk. Right? I mean, we can gather together on a Sunday morning. We can spend time in prayer here on a Wednesday night. That's the focus of the service, worship and prayer. We can gather together and we can call out to God and we can lay it all out before him. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And it's all great, but up to that moment, it's just lip service. The question is, what are we going to do? What are you going to do after the amen? Take a look at our text today. Nehemiah chapter 10. 
verse 28 and 29. It says, then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people, we'll talk about that in a moment too, of the land in order to obey the law of God together with their wives and sons and daughters and all who were old enough to understand joined their leaders and bound themselves to an oath. They swore a curse on themselves. That's serious. I mean, it's one thing to say, God, I promise you I will do, fill in the blank, but here it says, they swore a curse if we don't do this. Man, if they fail to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands. Say all. all. Here's a question. Is it enough to follow partially with God? Is it enough to say, God, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, and God, I'm going to give you this, but this over here, I'm going to hold on to this in my back pocket just for a little bit. No, you see, it's all or nothing with God. It's not a partial relationship. It's not a weekend stand. It's not a one-night stand, if you would. But it's a complete commitment, a daily commitment to God. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. Now, I'm convinced that through this study of the book of Nehemiah, that God is preparing us today for what he has in store tomorrow. Did you know he does that? God goes before us. God, God paves the way. He crafts it for us to bring us where we need to be. And I believe that he used this series, if we will truly allow it to be implemented. You see, we could just come in here and we can have a seven-week series and you can come in and, and punch the spiritual time card and let it go in one ear and out the other and never really allow it to affect you. And it's going to do you no good. All you've done is heard this 46-year-old guy talk. But if you will allow the word of God to penetrate your heart, I believe that God will use it for the betterment not only of you individually, not only of his church, but for his kingdom. He is also encouraging all of us to evaluate and strengthen our faith in these days. How many of you would agree that we need to evaluate and strengthen our faith? We live in a crazy time as a culture. Mr. Potato Head is no longer Mr. Potato Head. He's just Potato Head. Need I say more? He's encouraging us. God's word is encouraging us to evaluate, to strengthen our faith, and if necessary, to rebuild and make strong those areas that have been decaying, worn down, and even torn down by the constant assaults of our culture against our faith. 
I've stated it a couple times in this series, but I believe that it's certainly worth repeating again today. God is looking for people who will make a difference in the difficult places of life. I wish that said, God just wants us to be comfortable and let everything be easy. I don't know about you, but I would rather that. The old song, easy like Sunday morning, I like to say easy like Saturday morning, because for me, Sunday morning is not easy. I wish everything was sleep in and ease into your day and no real pressure, no real difficulties, but sometimes following Christ is hard. In fact, Jesus himself said that people will, are you ready for this, hate you because of him. Why did he say that? Because people don't understand grace. They don't understand mercy. They don't understand our connection with God, our desire to follow him, our longing for more of him. It's not always going to be easy. Therefore, God is looking for people. That's you and me. He's looking for those of us who will make a difference in the difficult places of life. Now, at the end of chapter 9, we have basically the, the amen of the prayer. This is the moment where they responded, in view of all of this, that's the amen, we are making a solemn promise. We're going to put it into writing. This is the amen. The word amen is not just a fancy word that we chose to put at the end of a prayer. It, it's not a, a gender-specific word or term, regardless what others would have you to believe. It simply means, so be it. This is what's been said, so be it. Let this come to pass. Let this happen. We agree together. You've heard people get together and after someone prays, they respond and everyone said, why do they say everyone said amen? Because everyone said, so be it. Everyone said, let this come to pass. Now here's the catch. It's one thing to offer a passionate prayer. It's one thing to offer a prayer of confession such as what happened in chapter 9, but it's quite a different thing or another thing to live an obedient life after the amen. Are you seeing the difference here? It's one thing to, to lay it all out here, to, to pour out your spirit, if you would, before God, to lay it before him, and then everybody agree together, so be it. But what happens when Monday hits? What happens when the opposition around you starts pounding at your door? What happens when you have the consistent reminders, the struggles, the difficulties? What do we do then? You see, the nation has sinned, but now they've confessed They've come to the place of saying, so be it, in view of all of this, amen. Now they're at the point where the rubber meets the road. And the question that I have is, is their dedication real? Let me ask this personally. What about you? Is your dedication to God real? 
Or is it just in word only? Well, everyone else is saying amen, so I'll say amen too. I'll just join with everyone else. It's all good. It's just lip service anyway. What is it for you? Is it a true, sincere dedication, or is it just a response out of routine? That's what I want to look at today. In chapter 10, we find three signs of a real Commitment. Three signs of a real commitment. Look at number one is this a willingness to submit to God's word. Listen carefully. All of God's word. I'm not saying pick and choose what you want. I'll take this, I'll take that, but this over here, not for me. It's all or nothing, folks. Either we believe the word of God or we don't believe the word of God. Either we believe it's true or we don't believe it's true. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29, the latter portion said this. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by the servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. And, and then we find that at the beginning of chapter 10, 84 people Sign their name. In view of all of this and in the amen, so be it, let it so happen. 84 people signed their name. 84 leaders led the way. And at the top of that list was a man by the name of Nehemiah. Places his name, the seal, in the covenant that they're making with God. Now, all the people had heard the word of God, and now they were committing themselves to obey. Now, let's talk about that word heard just for a moment. If you hear something, if we hear the word of God, the Bible over and over says, let he who has an ear hear. Is it simply saying, let us recognize some audible tones, some wavelengths flying through the air. Let us recognize almost like a cat's. Have you ever noticed that, that if you snap or make a loud sound, a cat's ears go? Have you ever noticed that? Is that what, what the Bible is talking about? Let he who has an ear, let them move about when they recognize as a change in the wavelengths? No, 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 no. See, that word hear literally means to listen and respond. In other words, I'm going to respond out of obedience to God. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to put a seal on the document. I'm going to, I'm going to agree in the seriousness of the matter for these individuals. It was like signing a contract at the bank. You're pledging that you'll make the payments, that you'll abide by the legal rules. The law governing vows and oaths is found in Numbers chapter 30. It says this, A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. I want you to grab a hold of this. We don't grow as Christians by making promises to God. Come on, listen. 
We don't mature in our faith. We don't come closer to God by making promises. We grow in our faith. We mature in our walk with him because we believe the promises of God and desire to follow his plan. Do I need to say that again? Some of you are just now grabbing a hold of that. We grow because we believe the promises of God. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Come on, some of you are singing it right now with me. We can stand upon the promises of God. If God said it, God will do it. But too often, our oath, our promises... They're made out of fear. Well, I've got to do better at that. I've got to accomplish this. I've got to make sure that I do that. Or or if I don't, that God's going to be mad at me. But I want you to know something. Fear should not be your highest motivation. Your love for God and your love to God should be your motivation. The Bible is very clear that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Every morsel of our being should be consumed with a longing and a passion and a drive to do what pleases God. In essence, our obedience and dedication to God should be a result of all that he has done through Jesus Christ. See, our first sign of a real commitment is a willingness to submit to the word of God. I want to challenge you. If you ever have any questions about culture, about society, about issues in life, turn to the word of God. This is going to lead you. If it doesn't line up with this, then it's not of God. Listen carefully. Culture is right now trying to twist everything. They're trying to make what's wrong, they're going to try to make it right. Are we seeing that? Is it just me? We've got to apply the word of God. Don't fall victim to the lies of the enemy. The Bible tells us that we aren't to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by allowing God to renew our minds. The problem is some of us are spending so much time on social media, and we're letting that change our mind. Well, if it's on TikTok, it must be true. If it's on Facebook, it must be a fact. They just need to call that fact book. That's how we treat it. Let's be honest. Well, I saw that on Facebook there the other day, and that must be the truth. I can't believe that's happening in our culture today. The problem we have right now is, is we really can't believe anything that we see online. So I want to challenge you. Don't become consumed by the stupidity of our culture and miss out on the truth of God's word. I want to challenge you, spend more time in this, in the book, than you do on Facebook. 
Spend more time in the word of God than you do on TikTok or I don't even know any others. I'm out. (laughs) Spend more time in the word of God. Number two, a willingness to be separate for God. A willingness to be separate for God. This is where we struggle because we so want to be at the center of everything. And that includes social media. We look at, I mean, how many people have liked my Instagram post? You have? I, I haven't posted anything on Instagram. But thank you for in advance liking it. I want to challenge you. Some of you in the room today, I'm going to get on a little soapbox just for a moment. Some of you in the room today, you thrive, you find your acceptance on how many people like your post. That's not where we find our acceptance. Who I am as a person is not based upon whether you like my post or not. Can I be honest with you? I don't care if you like it or not. I don't post it for you. If I post them, it's because I feel like I'm supposed to post it. I don't post it for recognition. We've got to allow who we are to be based upon whose we are. Based upon our relationship with him. We're no longer the same. We don't have to find the approval of the culture. And by the way, if you're truly a Christian, culture's not going to approve you. Man, I'm way off topic. <laughs> we got to be willing to separate for the kingdom of God. Look at this, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30. We promise, that's the people of Israel, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. This theme of separation, it's in the last two chapters. It's vitally important that we grasp the magnitude of what we were willing or we, they were willing to do. See, the Israelites were surrounded by Gentiles. The Gentiles were anybody that were non-Jews. For us, it would be like um, the culture. Anybody that's not in the church, anybody that didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that in essence could be referred to as the Gentiles. It's somebody that's not walking in stride with God. They would, these um, Gentiles, they would worship false gods. In other words, they wouldn't worship God Almighty, the one true God. They would create little idols out of wood or or stone. They would carve them. And in turn, they would commit to worship that idol. Gentiles were also very influential on the Jews to become part of their social or religious or even business encounters. Boy, does that sound familiar in today's culture. Society is doing everything they can to cause the church to conform to their way. What's the problem with that? Well, the law of Moses, this this separation that God has placed before them, prohibited God's people from living like the Gentiles. 
They were called to be set apart. They were called to be different. And just like God asked the Jews to be separate, we as believers are to be separate. We are to be different than the culture. We're not to conform to the culture. We're not to be like the culture. We're not to identify with the culture. We are to identify with Christ who stepped out of the darkness into the light. We are to be who he has called us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, some of you are saying, well, pastor, where do you get that? 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from among believers and separate yourselves from them, says who? The The Lord. So God is laying this out before us that we are to not be like them, but we are to separate ourselves. But pastor, that's hard. Sure it is. It's hard to be different. It's hard not to do what everyone else is doing. You run the risk of someone saying, oh, are you too good to do that with us? What do you, how do you respond? Man, I just want to please God. I just want to honor the one that has given his everything for me. I want to give glory to God because if it wasn't for him, man, I'd be a mess today. It's taking the time just to separate ourselves, to surrender to him. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but the Bible is very clear that we are not to take on the behaviors of the world. Why? Because this world is not of God. The culture is bent toward a a disobedience from the very word of God. They will pick and choose. They may even use the scripture. But look at this. You can take any of God's word. You can pull out a little piece and say, well, the Bible says. But what they fail to do is apply it to the context of when it was written, how it was written, what surrounds it, what's going on. I can pick up any book today. I can open up a section and go, well, the book said, and I can quote them. But if I fail to put it in context, It's not going to work. And that's what culture is trying to do. Well, the Bible says you got to love everybody. Sure, we got to love everybody, but we don't have to accept every behavior. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. So does this mean that we simply avoid the world? That when we go home, we, we open up the garage door, we pull into the garage, we close the garage door behind us, we never meet our neighbors, never talk to our neighbors, we pay at the pump, we pick Walmart pickup, we never go anywhere, we avoid people at all costs? No. But rather than allowing the world to influence us, we must in turn influence them. We must allow the light of God to shine amongst the darkness of this dark and perverse world. The the Jews, they they separated themselves from the people and they turned toward the things of God. They separated from the things that separated them from God and they committed at a devotion to God. You ready for this? No matter what. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, "No no matter what. That's hard. Can I just be honest with you? That's hard. 
It's easy sitting in this room today to go, man, I can do this. So be it. Amen. Yes. It's easy to say that here. What happens when the persecution comes, the pressure comes, the opposition comes? What are we going to do then? No matter what. It's a willingness to submit to the word of God. It's a willingness to be separate for God. And number three, a willingness to support the work of God. Oh, here we go, pastor, talking about money now. I'm not talking about money. God's word is talking about money. You either accept it or you don't. Chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. We promise, the people said, to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give God our oldest sons and our firstborn of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priest who minister in the temple of our God. Now the phrase temple of our God or house of God, some translations say, is used nine times in these few verses. It's referring to the restored temple. The people were promising God that they would obey the law and they would provide for the need in the ministry of his church. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, we promise together not to neglect the temple of God. Now let's jump to the New Testament just for a moment because I want to do kind of a, a bounce back and forth. So the Old Testament, that's, that's the temple of God. That's where the Spirit of God resides in the temple of God. Now here we are in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God brought you, bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. So in the Old Testament, again, the, the presence of God resided, was found in the temple itself. But today, it's not this. Today, it's this. Today, we are the temple. God doesn't live in a house, a physical house. Yes, he shows up. And yes, he's with us this morning. And yes, he's wherever we go. But it's not because of this man-made building. It's because of who we are. We are the temple of God. So since God doesn't live in the house that we worship in, why should we care for the church? In Nehemiah's day, they said, we won't neglect the temple of God. So do I now say, I won't neglect my body? Some of us aren't doing very good at that. That's a whole nother sermon for another time. So what do we do? The truth is, the way we care for God's house, listen very carefully, the way we care for God's house indicates what we think of God. Boy, you're quiet on that one. 
How can I say this? Remember back early on when, when the people of Israel were trying to rebuild the, the, the walls around the city. And what was happening? The people on the outside were scoffing at them. They were saying, oh, look at those poor Jewish people. They claim to serve the one true God, yet they're living in ruins. What kind of God is this? Right? What happens if we don't care for God's house? See, one of our core values as a church is we value excellence because God deserves excellence. I believe that includes God's house. I believe that we must do everything we can to make sure that God's house is the nicest place around. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 6 says this, the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted so much but harvested little. You eat but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though they were putting them in pockets filled with holes. He goes on to say, now go and get the timber and rebuild my house. Why is God being so adamant about his house? Because he believes that his house, this is where spiritual maturity takes place. This is where our growth takes place. This is where we learn more. This is where we prepare ourselves to go into culture, to make an advance for the kingdom of God. This is the location where God does all of that in and through us. Now, yes, the disciples, they met in homes, and, and we encourage you to do that as well. We have our life groups, encourage you to be a part of that. But they also came together in, in larger settings to show unity and purpose for the glory of God, just as we do today. Therefore, if we don't take care of God's house, what will people outside these walls think? Come on, let that, let that sink in just for a moment. If we don't take care of God's house. Now, how do they do this? Well, there were numerous different um, offerings that they gave, and I don't have time to, to process through the offerings, but one that was constant, every harvest they would have a tithe. A tithe is defined as 10% of the earnings. This is to be given to the storehouse, or for our sake, the general fund of the church. Now, I used to think when I was a young adult and, and kind of new to everything, I used to think that, well, when it comes time to my tithe, I'll just pinpoint where I want this to go. I'll just say I want a little to go here, a little to go there, a little to go here. But then God quickly convicted me and said, that's not what I have in store. You're to give to the storehouse. You're to give to the general fund and trust the leadership to put that where it needs to be. But I want to say this. Those of you that tithe, and if you don't tithe, I want to encourage you, make that a matter of prayer. 
God, do you want me to do this? God, what's that look like? Tithing is the only place that God says, test me. He said, test me and see that I won't press this down, that I'll supply for you, that I'll take care of you, that I'll meet this need. Test me. But three things that we must avoid, three dangers. Number one is giving with wrong motives. In other words, I'm gonna give out of fear. I'm thinking that that God's gonna be so mad at me if I don't give and God's gonna punish me and he's gonna smite me from heaven with his giant God-sized thumb. Or maybe it's thinking that if I if I give, then God's going to bless me. Let's see. I, I, I really want to buy this new whatever, so I'm going to give to God because then God's going to double that, and then I'm going to have enough to buy what I want to buy. That's not how God works. He's not a lottery ticket. See, the second danger we must avoid is thinking that we can do whatever we want with the remaining 90%. Well, if I give to God, then anything else goes beyond that. Did you know that you're just a manager of God's money? He blesses you with a job so that you can earn that money. He could ask for more than 10%, but he just asked for 10%. And then what we do with the rest, we've got to trust in him. Lord, how would you like me to spend this? God, what do you want me to do with this? The third danger is feeling that once I tithe, I don't need to give anything more. And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm just talking about in general. Maybe it's somebody in need that you can bless. Did you know that God blesses you so you can be a blessing to somebody else? We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. But Jesus said that our giving reflects our treasure. That where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Paul said that we should give with a cheerful heart, not out of reluctancy or even pressure. God loves when we give cheerfully. So we must so love God that generous giving is a normal and a joyful part of our life. I want to challenge you. Maybe you haven't begun to give to God. I want to challenge you. Make that a matter of prayer. See, there's three signs to a a dedication or a love to God. We've talked about this morning. Number one is this, a willingness to submit to the Word of God. complete Word of God. Number two, a willingness to separate ourselves for the glory of God, to separate from culture, to come out from the darkness into His light. And number three, a willingness to support His work, to make an impact for the kingdom of God. We spent the last seven weeks looking at Nehemiah's experience of rebuilding this wall and if all we do is hear the message over the last seven weeks and we walk out the door then all we've accomplished is hearing a a great story it's a great story it really is I mean he accomplished something that hadn't been done in 90 years he did it in 52 days that's awesome but I believe that God wants us to allow this this series to strengthen our walk with him. So I want to encourage you to take action to accomplish the task that God has placed in front of you. Because I believe that 2021 
for every single one of us, I believe that God's plan is for his word to be advanced through his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray right now for every person in this room. Would you help us? We can't do this by ourselves. Lord, there's so many obstacles, so many difficulties, distractions. But Lord, today I ask that you will change our focus. Well, that you will help us to look toward you, to dedicate to you, to separate for you, and to give for you. Help us, your people, to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here today. Say, Pastor, I'm here and I haven't asked Jesus to come into my life. This is a a question, opportunity that I give every single week. And my response is always the same. The good news for you is this. First off, you're not alone. Every one of us have failed. Every one of us have messed up. Every one of us have faltered. The Bible tells us that. But the even better news is this. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all the wrong we've ever done, to cleanse us from anything and everything that separates us from him. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you let me pray with you today all across the house? Is that you? Second question is this. See, Pastor, something inside of me is stirring today. I need to deepen my commitments. I need to rely more upon God's word. I need to separate myself more. I need to, I need to give more. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where you fall in that, but somewhere along the line, you, you see a shortage or a disconnect. The evidence isn't there. And you say, Pastor, I I want God to step in. I want God's help. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Come on, it's okay. Yeah, there's one. It's okay to admit this. The first step toward resolution or change is admitting there's an issue. Is that you? Would you stand with me all across the house? I need my prayer partners to come at this time lie in the front of the room. If you raised your hand or, or God's stirring up on your heart about some issue, some situation, you just need prayer, whatever that may be, as the worship team begins to lead us in this song, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat to come. Find one of our prayer partners and let them pray with you this morning. Are you ready?